I just realized we don't have B-roll. How can we not have B-roll? What are we going to do without B-roll? Did I put B-roll in the front of last week's? I'm not going to lie. I didn't listen. I don't know. Oh, you're the worst. I think and that's there's a B-roll, the though. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Active Listeners with Mike and Shane. Each week we interview guests about their goals and expectations as artists, their artistic expression, and the all-around nature of the artist's lifestyle. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is there a de facto artist lifestyle? Well, that's one of the things we try to uncover. Performers, visual artists, and musicians, Mike and I would like to talk to you about what you do, why you do it, and what that art means for your community. Please follow Active Listeners on Facebook, or the Twitter and join in on the conversation. Peace. Welcome to Active Listeners with your co-host Mike and Shane. And those are the opposite of our names because it's been a long day. But welcome to Active Listeners Podcast with Mike and Shane. And today we are going to talk about writing and writers and playwrights in the in the process behind putting words to the page specifically we're going to talk to a writer a playwright screenwriter professor of writing ryan ganjemi and ryan's going to share just a little bit about his process and uh some details behind some of his recent work yeah but before we get there let's as usual chit and chat with myself and mike chit and chat chit and chat i was kind of curious what kind of writing do you do because i know a lot of your artistic expression is drawing and i wasn't sure where you fell on the writing spectrum i fall on the eternally wishing i had the time to devote to getting better at it when i was a kid i really liked writing short stories specifically horror short stories the very first short story I ever wrote was about a, a kid that um, was uh, turned into a werewolf. <laughs> so it's a theme. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was really big into like uh, goosebumps um, and like animorphs. Oh, yeah. So like you know, werewolves were my favorite thing because they were horror, but also like animals. <laughs> And I also remember when Goosebumps made the shift from books to TV show. And it was interesting to see how all of the kid-style gruesome writing was able to translate to the screen so well. Yeah, and it's funny because it was like, um, it was like, oh, what's it called? When, when a show is non-episodic. You know, it's non-episodic and they had two episodes per half-hour block. Which yeah. is funny because like the books aren't long, but they're definitely not fifteen minutes of condensed material. Yeah. So I I always remember thinking like, oh, there were more characters in the book, or oh, you know, like there's this whole other step that didn't happen. And the one I remember the most is like the the thing from under the sink, the thing that came from under the sink, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember like they did like in the book it was like the rule of three, right? Because it's it's a rule of three. It's the law. Yeah, it's, okay. it might as well be. And yeah, in the show, they only do like two instances of this thing like causing mayhem. So yeah, I remember that being... But yeah, It was the first long story short, instance of the books were better. Yeah, long story short, I would like to, to someday get at least two of the ideas I have for graphic novel type stories out of my head and onto paper and illustrate for them yeah i mean that's a completely different process than what 
what let's say what I do as writing like I do like some playwriting so mm. I'm constantly thinking for the stage I have I have a musical that I really want to write and I've written parts of it but I've never too much tummy fully toby too much tummy toby body body positivity have, folks don't worry I for real and I think it's one of those pieces of work that I was writing from, you know, personal experience. For those who don't know me, I was a very large kid. Um, and so I was drawing from a place that I knew. Uh, and then I got too real and I was like having flashbacks of my <laughs> obese childhood and decided to like put it away for a little while. And I think it has aged to a point where I could probably bring it out and kind of take a look at it again. Yeah, yeah. get it in the decanter get some air i don't know anything about wine <laughs> <laughs> gonna gonna uncork that bottle a little yeah, bit let the tannins open up that's what i meant yeah i know what you meant <laughs> uh, no but that's funny and that's funny what you, you mentioned uh the differences between writing because yeah each each medium has its own own process its own way of you know for a graphic novel yes you're writing a plot it's in the name it's a novel but you're also writing for the visuals you're what is going to give you cool visuals or interesting visuals and maybe not cool maybe they're gruesome maybe they're you know maybe they're um sweet but like you you're you're writing with the intention that people are going to see the story which is funny because that's exactly what i do the when you were describing it because when I'm writing, I'm thinking the same thing at some point. What is this going to look like on a stage? Right. I also I also think though that depending on maybe not for maybe a musical, you kinda want to be spectacle and, and, and energetic. Oh and, yeah. But like think about like writing for a drama. Like, I mean, if you're writing not that drama graphic novels novels don't exist, right? Like there are definitely graphic novels out there successful ones even i think of uh, the sandman series not a lot of action in those even though he's writing about very you know powerful celestial beings it's it's more word and, and drama driven but that is something that lends itself more to a stage or a screen the ability to to show similarly to to a graphic novel style cool I mean, I don't know that I have much more to really dive into in, in writing. It's definitely one of those things, much like you, I wish I did more and kind of got at mm. and made myself better at, but it tends to be the the side project I do. Sure. Um, and from what I understand, our guest today, Ryan, writes almost full time. And so let's go ahead and take this moment to bring on ryan yeah we'll bring on ryan in just a moment but first we just want to take some time to remind our audience of two things one there is this place where you can go on the interwebs and get active listeners merchandise where where is that mike oh you can go to the link in our show description it will bring you to our t public page where you can order stickers t-shirts mugs koozies, uh, bags, uh, all sorts of different things, keychains with either the Active Listeners Podcast Brain Pod or some of the 
designs that we have commemorating past episodes. More of those coming your way this season as well. Well, golly gee, Mike, what was the second thing they could do? Well, the second thing they can do is they can support our show by becoming patrons. They can go to patreon.com slash active listeners podcast and become a patron. It really would just help out the show and expand our horizons. So if you like the content we're putting out there and you want us to make more content, please take a moment, check out those two websites in our description box and let's bring on ryan surprise third thing damn it surprise third thing always gets me you could also (laughs) just tell your friends about our podcast the best way the easiest way and honestly the way that would make us happiest is for you to just help people hear our show so yeah like and rate if your podcast home allows you to rate shows please do that and Yeah, that's ultimately our goal, is to have people hear from the awesome people that we interview. And with that, we're going to go ahead and jump to our guest, Ryan Gingemi. All right, and with us tonight, we have Ryan Gingemi, who is a playwright, writer, director extraordinaire. Uh, Ryan, uh, do us a favor, introduce yourself, tell us something interesting about yourself, a little fun fact, if you will, uh, and also let us know what pronouns you go by. Sure. Uh, it's Ryan Gangemi. He, I, I am, uh, as you said, a writer and a uh, director, and I also do a little bit of, you know, teaching at the college level. A uh, fun fact about me is that I have been studying King Arthur and the stories of King Arthur since I was three years old, and I I cannot get enough. Can you give us a, a brief fun fact about Arthur? Sure. Though we have no idea if King Arthur really lived or not, we have this idea of this guy who, who did live and did fight to save Britain. It wasn't England at the time, it was Britain. And that this guy was nowhere near living in the period of the knights in shining armor that <laughs> think of. Instead, he was about roughly 500 years earlier and was in the height of what we used to call the Dark Ages. And we now think that's kind of a dumb title because they weren't as dark as we thought they were. Yeah, they had candles. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so many stories from, you know, back before there was books <laughs> before there were books has <laughs> been like told and retold and and kind of reskinned and made to to fit different scenarios basically everything shakespeare ever wrote <laughs> you know? i am a huge fan of the idea of that mythology that that we as a, as a people keep coming back to again and again and again the idea of mythological themes that you can find everywhere from from Britain's dark past to Japan to the various uh, countries of Africa to uh, to the various Native American groups you know there's certain threads that appear again and again and again and those threads just fascinate me to no end isn't it a, a common conception in the writing world there are about seven stories and every story is just a recycle of those seven? Yes. Um, some people say it's 16, some say seven, and some say three. I think the ones saying three are vastly underestimating human creativity. <laughs> Comedy, tragedy, history, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. They're all the same. <laughs> every, every comedy, every tragedy, every history ever. 
besides stoner movies. <laughs> They're their own genre. I technically knew I knew that little fun fact, but that's fine. The rest of our listeners and Shane didn't. Yeah, I definitely did not. <laughs> uh, yeah, disclosure. Uh, I have worked with Ryan. Yeah twice now yeah. right um yeah uh yeah and both both times during uh the rona yeah <laughs> oh really yeah and some on some uh digital zoom type projects the first one being um film that you i believe are going to talk about a little bit later so i won't spoil anything and uh and then what was the second thing was it a play reading I, I believe so. I, I, I believe it, it wasn't anything big. It was something thrown together. I can't remember for the life of yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've done so many of them over the past 11, 12 months. So it's just, they're all kind of jumbling together. They just blend together. It's just a bunch of computer screens, you know? Yeah. It was a way to keep us active and creative during a really, really slow period of our lives. That's Seriously. Right. And now that you've worked with him twice, you're going to start writing characters for him because that's how that works, right? Yeah, oh, exactly. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> it's it was really it was really, you know, it was really fun to work on uh, the, the film. It was the first Zoom film I had ever done. And yeah, yeah, it was it was a, it was a ton of fun. So I guess we'll stop beating around a bush. Right. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your uh, pandemic projects? <laughs> sure. Um, the first major pandemic project I did was I, I put out a play through a quarantine E theater uh, called they put dad in a box. And it, it was basically a, a, a 15 year old girl has just lost her father. And the idea was um, she's trying to figure out how to grieve because, and it really comes from a personal place for me, which is at funerals, I don't cry. I mm. never cry at funerals and I'm not a non-emotional person just at funerals, I do not cry. I, I just, I handle them stoically. And with a belief that if you really love the person, celebrate them. And I was trying to figure this out and what it said about me. So I wrote this play and it got me thinking, what else can we do in the middle of a pandemic? I sat down one day and I started writing. I, I, I was talking to my wife about the absurd kind of Zoom meetings people were having. And I, I said, you know, could you just imagine if all the ancient gods of mythology and religion were real, but the only way they could figure out who started the problems of 2020 was by getting together on Zoom and trying to hash it. <laughs> and my wife made this joke in which she said, oh my God, I could just see Zeus living in this like retirement community stoned out of his mind playing poker and this image stuck in my brain in the middle of the night I, I swear it must have been two o'clock in the morning I went to my computer and I just started to write this screenplay <laughs> it was originally called who called the gods in 2020 but after after our first test showing uh, we decided to cut the in 2020 and I just started to write this thing. It has 22 characters and they are all old gods. And this is the one Mike was in. Mike, I'm going to spoil exactly who you play. <laughs> played Jesus, who is somewhat the voice of reason, but is totally exasperated both with the gods and with the people on earth who just keep abusing his name. <laughs> 
<laughs> sounds like Mike. I mean, that sounds right up Mike's alley, you know? Yeah, yeah. If I was ever going to play Jesus, it's it's definitely in a context where he's like, hey, stop doing stupid shit and saying it's for me. <laughs> I'm kind of curious on like what keeps you motivated to write, especially during the pandemic, because I know a lot of people did really artistic expressive things during the pandemic and I and I commend you for that but I also know a lot of people that couldn't quite pull that off sure so so what kept you going sure I can't not write (laughs) my entire life this is this is how I've been I just I don't have the ability to stop even when I'm having a slow period where I'm just my, my creative energy is drained my wife and I will literally stay up till two in the morning writing um, screenplay, sometimes things that we could never sell in a thousand years. Like we spent something like half a year writing the Batman movies we wanted to see. <laughs> no way DC is going to call me up or Warner Brothers is going to call me up tomorrow and be like, can we buy those Batman scripts? And they're going to languish until like, I don't know, 50 years after I'm dead when my grandkids are like, did you know grandpa wrote a Batman script? <laughs> And then at that time, Batman will be out of like, or into the domain, which means they'll be able to put that on. Yes. Yes. So I'm providing for my grandchildren. (laughs) There you go. There you go. (laughs) I always have to be working on something and, you know, I'll do these little writing exercises at night, but the moment I have an idea, I try to jump on it. And what will often happen is I'll write the beginning and then I'll just stop short for a few weeks where I just, I need to, I need to break free of it. I need to go away from it and then come back, and then I will write the end, sometimes in as little as three days. Wow. Yeah, as, as someone who has many ideas rolling around in my head for one project or another, <clears throat> and never sitting down long enough to write them now, <laughs> I, com- I commend your, uh, your tenacity. Well, I, I will tell you, there are times where I just stop short. Like, for a week or two, all I'll write is stuff that cannot be sold. And I almost do it as a palate cleanser between projects. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to work on this thing. It's this little pet project off to the side so that when I go into my next thing, I'm fresh. Mm-hmm. So I go from writing about the old gods to writing science fiction noir about this detective and her android Dr. Watson figure. that's great it's like a sketch it's like a you know you're doing little yeah writing sketches that maybe no one will ever see yeah exactly but yeah yeah that's great do you ever make your students read any of your stuff i have in the past usually to teach them about writing because it's something where i can sit there and go okay take a look at this and the first thing i say to them every single time is listen I'm not that teacher who wants to hear how wonderful his work is. (laughs) Feel free to tell me when you don't like this. I'll tell you, there was one semester, this blew up in my face so bad. (laughs) Story time. I gave them this work and we're reading it. And this one girl raises her hand about midway through and goes, Professor, is this really your best work? Ooh. No, it's not. In fact, I chose this one because it's flawed. And her response was, oh, good, because... It's really, really flawed. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just staring at her like, you know, I told you you could say this. And now I will fail you. Yeah. Well, you know what else was flawed? That last essay you wrote me, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, but that's great. That's that's cool because like I think as a as a student, one of two things happens, right? You either you either don't formulate any relationship with your professors at all. And it's just like, oh, you know, he's just the guy that I have to see three times a week. Or you end up, you know, getting little windows or big windows, but like a look into like what their life is like. And I think as like an aspiring writer, like I don't think I ever had an art teacher that was like, this is my work. You know what I mean? Like, unless they had like a, a show somewhere and I went right. and actively like kind of looked for it. Well, when you're teaching people how to write, when you're teaching them how to dream big, how to, how to shoot for the stars, you almost have to say to them, look, we're all doing this. Mm. There's some work that you could take a look at. Love it, hate it, that's up to you. But recognize you're not alone in this. Even your professor who has all these qualifications, even I am still doing the day-to-day pushing for this dream of writing and directing and all that. And it humanizes the professor, but it also allows students to say, oh, okay, this is what's out there in the world. This is the level of work that we're shooting for or, or above this, you know, and, and to try and explore these things. Have you ever had the sort of opposite reaction of someone being uh, intimidated by like the amount and level of work that you put out? Yes, I have had that happen. And it was um, a, a young woman who she said, you know, I, I don't think I could ever, I don't think I could ever do that. I, I said to her, do you want to be a writer? She said, yes, very, very badly. I said, then don't worry about the level of my work. I stay up till two, three in the morning writing every day. Unless you develop severe insomnia, that's not really going to be your experience. Certainly not in college, right? This is, this is, this is a, this is a model. This, that's all it is. And every person has to find their very own model. And their own voice, you know, you, yes. you write in your voice and you just have a sort of a prolific pen. You, you write and write. And like you said, you know that it's not all gold, yes. but that's not everyone's process. So you, you mentioned two things that I want to make a connection between and then maybe have you elaborate on. There's this adage, right, that writers write what they know. But you've mentioned twice, two projects now where you are writing from the perspective or at least for the main character, the main character's perspective is that of a woman. What's your process for developing those types of stories when you know you're writing from a place that you don't know? Maybe you have like, like, like grieving. That was where you were. That was the theme. But still, you have this person that has an ex- these experiences that you don't have. So what do you do in those circumstances? I'm sorry, I'm not going to lie, Mike. I thought you were going to call him out for not being a Greek god. (laughs) Hey, how do you know I'm not? (laughs) I I will tell you, um, I don't think the divisions between people are as big as we think they are. Now, don't get me wrong. We are divided to some degree by life experiences based on things like male, female, black, white. These are almost surface it's almost more the things that really really have us the things that really make us who we are is are the cultures we come from the 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 experiences we have with our parents things like that and those are fairly universal you know and when once you realize the connections between us it's easy to for to to a certain extent say okay well i'm writing a woman I'm putting myself into the place of this woman. Now I just take myself out of the picture and I just write a character. I write a strong character. And if I fleshed out the character enough, her voice will come to me 
because I've heard people talk like her. I've met people who have those experiences. And all I have to do is connect on one point where I go, this is where we're similar. So grieving. I know I, know I have grieved. I know this character is grieving. After that, it's just about finding her unique voice. Because the other thing is, is, is a lot of times we talk about, well, can you write this character? Well, you can write any character as long as you can hear that voice, as long as you can hear that person's voice and that person's story, and then pull it on. It doesn't mean I've lived their story. It doesn't even mean that once I'm done, once I take my hand off that keyboard, do I even understand their story? There's characters I've written where afterwards I look back and go, I don't understand their life. But the guy who wrote this thing did. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know what I was thinking in that moment, but obviously I told a story that's resonated, even if I don't actually understand what it was I did in that moment. Sure. So there's always like a surface level of connection. Yes. That while using a theme that you are familiar with or that you are trying to share that is a little bit personal, you feel like you're able to do that through the vehicle of these characters, which makes sense, right? I mean, that would just mean if I ever wrote anything, it would just be full of, you know, biracial, tall, good looking men, right? <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but like that, you know, that a, a compelling story doesn't make. So yeah, you need to be able to kind of write in different voices as a writer. Now, kind of to piggyback off that, though, like you said, you do have people in your life that you know. So have you had the moment where you have written something about or for someone and then that person recognizes it within your writing? Yes. And it happens. And most of the time they go, oh, hey, that's me. <laughs> Every once in a while you sit there and go, oh, no. How, how are they going to see this? Um, I, I had a friend read a piece, another piece I'm actually working on right now. It, it, it's called Crits and Ones. And it's about a bunch of people in their 30s who have been playing the same role-playing game since college. And they're all a bunch of now approaching middle-aged professionals <laughs> with families, some of them with wives uh, and husbands, and some of them, you know, all of them trying to find themselves in their 30s. And I wrote one of the characters and I showed it to my one friend and she's reading the character, reading the character, reading the character. And the opening scene is this character who's a doctor gets a phone call as she's pouring herself a glass of wine. And it's because a woman is in labor and she needs to come in to help with the delivery. And she asks how long she's been in labor. And then she pours the wine down the sink because you can't drink if she's going to go doctor afterward. But she basically says, well, if it's only that far along in the delivery, I'm going to go finish my role-playing game. <laughs> and you'll see me when I'm done. And my friend gets through this first scene reading it and she just looks up and she goes, oh my God, she's me. <laughs> and I just kind of shrugged my shoulders. I was like, I mean, maybe I did. Maybe that's what happened, but you can't prove anything. I'm curious to know if you've ever unwritten a character. If you've ever written a character, did some uh, table work with it, brought it to other audiences and realized, oh, wow, maybe maybe I shouldn't be writing this character or I don't have enough internally or even having maybe brought someone into the conversation to help you co-write. I did that for an entire screenplay once. There was a screenplay I wrote years ago. I was friends with a young woman who got into a massive argument with someone 
over a fact that she said she wanted to be a stripper. And this other woman said to her, no, you don't. That's demeaning to women everywhere. And my friend said, no, not to me. I'm a dancer and I actually enjoy nudity and I can make good money doing it. And this other woman said, no, you can't, da, 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 da. And I wrote a screenplay around this because I was very fascinated by it. I wanted to take it to as far as I could. You know, I wanted to see where the idea would go to. I brought it to a writing class and people read it and they really enjoyed it, except for one girl at the end of the table who really, and I, a girl, she was about 17 years old, you know, and she freaked out and started to actually scream at me in the middle of the class. And how can you do this? This is demeaning to women. And which was never my intent. I really was trying to have a conversation. But when I left that class, I really started thinking about, and I thought to myself, I don't think it was demeaning. I don't think she's right. But I don't think I do my best job doing what I wanted to do with this. And if that's the case, then it's insulting the people I'm writing it for. And if I'm insulting the people I'm writing it for, it's not ready. Maybe in 10 years, but right now, this is not the project I should be working on. It doesn't work. I'm pulling it from rotation and I'll go back later if I can figure out how to make it work. And if not, it goes to, it goes to the past. It goes to the grandkids. Exactly. <laughs> That's funny. We have a term for things that were acceptable, but aren't now. Uh, we say, oh, it didn't age well, right? That concept, at least, would probably be a easier sell now. Yes. You know what yes. I mean? Like post, uh, you know, mid third wave or fourth wave, whatever wave we're in. You know what I mean? Like, like it ha- yeah, it has come into its own <laughs> at this point. Yeah. And you I heard it like- here. Ryan is a fine wine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and maybe, maybe it still does need to have a woman's voice behind it. Maybe, yeah. you know, maybe that could be the thing, but yeah, I feel like, cause that gets into weird territory, right? You're like talking about sexuality of women as a man who right is into women so like are you really just writing your own are you are you you know a comic book writer writing your fantasy version of what women are you know what i mean yeah basically the 90s in comic books right yeah (laughs) right exactly well it also sounds like your wife is a writer as well right yes my wife doesn't write as much as i do but we've spent years working together and while she has not put anything out that she's published or produced or anything like that she's often the last set of eyes that see anything I write and she frequently will say to me no 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 that's not working go back fix that (laughs) and you know if you asked her she would say I'm the better writer Um, I'm the stronger writer but she has an eye for being able to look at things and go that will work that will not work which is uncanny Mm -hmm. producer Oh, I've tried to pull her into producing. And she said, <laughs> nope, I'll help you when you ask me for the help, but I'm not going to get involved. <laughs> That's your thing. <laughs> but that said, I, I should mention, I also have a, a, a woman who I work with on a lot of these projects, um, who is my producer on a lot of my films lately, uh, Kate Daggett, mm-hmm. who has been my friend since my first year of college, way back in 2002. Uh, we met at orientation and put up with me all these years. Uh, she was my, my wife's maid of honor at our wedding. She's, she's our, our, my, my daughter's uh, godmother. She never planned on being in film at all. She got a degree in communication, promptly said, I never want anything to do with communications ever again. 
went into being probably the best special ed teacher I've ever met in my life. But she works as my producer on almost all my films and is my constant sounding board. So as we're talking about women in, in film and women's presence in these things, you know, I, I think it's really important to mention her because everything I do, you know, she's right there. She has my back on everything. Yeah, creatively, um, when you're doing something collaborative, I mean, you know, like this guy here, you know, Shane and I, we've known each other for quite a long time, probably this similar amount of time. It's great because you get to a point where you can just say things to each other. And even though you've said three words, you've been able to convey like entire theses about like what's going on. Working together for years, you develop a shorthand yeah and yeah. you know i can hear the words mike is saying but also see the screaming in his eyes it <laughs> <laughs> so often is yes <laughs> i i understand that concept completely those people who've worked with me a lot know that i've never said anything in three words i couldn't say in 20 <laughs> <laughs> i am a bit verbose <laughs> verbose yes yeah i mean you're a writer i mean you have to be Unless you took up like writing haikus and then yes. <laughs> he would just have like thousands and thousands and thousands of haikus. <laughs> I swear I once was teaching haiku to a class. I said, I'll write two or three haikus so that they could see. Seven haikus later. <laughs> and I wrote 14 haiku, <laughs> put them together, told a story. And then I had to go back and explain to the same class okay, guys, your haiku don't need to be related at all. They could just be you writing a page of haiku about totally different things. You confused them with your own bar. <laughs> I did. I did. That, that, that was a bad teaching moment. <laughs> so when you're writing, what would you say in your work? What would we see that's common from like one piece to the next? Yeah, what's your common thread? <sighs> There's a few things, but the overall thing, the thing beyond everything else, actually stems from a, a, a quote of um, Tolkien's that I really live my life by, which is hope without guarantees. The idea that good should prevail, but you should never believe it will. Mm. You always just sit there hoping for it and hoping that some thread of light will come through. But be aware the world is a dark, place it's a, it's a place where a lot of pain takes place you know uh my first film was the second loss and it was all about a, a man and a woman who are married and their child is in a coma because one of them made a mistake and the lack of trust between them but i i, I purposely didn't end it on the note of reconciliation but i also didn't leave it on the note of they're divorced and their uh, marriage is mm -hmm. But I left it on a very ambiguous note. Yeah, the work has to happen. Yeah. My second film was The Girl and Her Man. And it is all about a guy who's in a terrible relationship with a girl who abuses him horribly. And I ended it on this note of he gets in the car and leaves. But you don't know whether he'll go back or not. Mm. Again, it's hope without guarantees. And, you know, I, I wrote another one, Imperfect Goddesses, which is about a, a woman who has an affair and her wife catches her with her lover, you know, and that's one of the films I'm probably the most proudest of, uh, you know, we ended up realizing there were some editing issues and we're, we had to pull it back out and we're working on re-editing it right now. 
but it's probably the piece I'm mo most proud of because that one was one where there's three people and every one of them are deeply flawed individuals. And yet as a writer director, I couldn't help fall in love with all three of them. And those who saw the film talked about how much they came to care for at least two of the three each time. And different people had a reaction of which two, you know, every, everyone was like, I'm not sure if it's this one or this one or this one or this one. But this idea of hope without guarantees and characters who are not wholly bad or wholly good, but are sympathetic. That, those are the stories I wanted to tell. Uh, what stories are you working on now? I don't know how much longer we, we have you in this interview. Sure, sure. But I would love to hear about some of the work you're working on currently and how all of that stuff you just said ties into your current work. Sure. The first uh, thing that I'm working on right now is a piece called These Questions May Save Your Life. A man wakes up one morning and goes into his dining room to find a hitman sitting at the table with a gun drawn on him. The hitman basically tells him there's a contract out for your life, but I'm sporting and I'm fair. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Now, if at the end of it, I don't think you're, I, I, if I don't think that you're the sort of person who deserves to be killed, I'll let you go. Fair warning. No one has ever answered it to the point where I'm happy. That sounds like a sadistic hitman. <laughs> That's good. It sounds like a good, like, uh, two-person show. Hitman with a god complex, you know? Yeah. I, I'm really excited about that one. I'm putting the final touches on the script, and then I'm going to start looking for a cast. Um, <laughs> after that, I'm working on a piece called Parator, which is, um, you, you might have heard of the roundtable knight Sir Percival. Um, he's one of the big figures in Arthurian literature. He's one of the three guys who found the Holy Grail. He's also the only one who's actually based on a historical guy who was a prince named Parator. Mm. And I've written this very dark story about searching for the Holy Grail that grapples with things like uh, despair and um, making mistakes and trying to figure out how do you get back on the right road that deals with the ideas of, of um, old um, Celtic paganism versus um, the beginnings of Christianity and how the two at times were very sympathetic for each other and at other times very, very hostile to each other. It's probably the darkest thing I've ever written, but again, it's about this idea of someone trying to find hope in a very dark situation and not lose themselves to the temptations of evil. And finally, the last big thing I'm working on right now is I've just begun work on my first musical. Ooh. The, it's called The Iliad of Troy. It's going to be a stage musical. I, I want to bring back the idea of the big musical. Mm -hmm. It's based on, as I said, Homer's The Iliad. But I was rereading The Iliad a little while back, and I realized that even though it's a story about men doing manly things and manly ways at a time of war, the real essence of the story is how these men repeatedly objectify women. Mm. And the only one who doesn't objectify women is, is, uh, is the hero Hector, who is madly in love with his wife and sees her as his best friend. The two of them probably suffer more than anyone else in the story because they're the only two who are really living a good, honest life with each other. And I thought to myself, in this day and age, I think that we can use the Iliad to talk about things like 
corruption of power, where women stand in the world, domination by men who themselves really probably shouldn't have power. What makes for a good man? What makes for a good woman? What makes for good interactions between people of different groups? And so I'm hoping to use this thing to speak to issues we have today through the lens of 4,000 years. Wait a minute. Are you trying to tell me that in our current day and age, we have political corruption? Oh, no, never, never. <laughs> okay, phew, because I was in my, I've been living in my bubble for a while, so I just want to make sure I'm still safe. <laughs> Money is speech, guys. All right? <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Businesses are people. <laughs> Two ideas that terrify me to my core. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty cool. I'm not a huge musical fan. I think both of you know this, but uh, but yeah, it does that does sound like a a, sh a show worth worth creating? And also, I think you also hit on like literature and 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 and, and uh, plays, films using the past to say something about the present, which is which is I think interesting that we decide. To, to do that, mostly because I wonder at the perspectives we are unaware of because of what has survived and what hasn't. I wonder at the likelihood that men with power in the past were like men with power now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So who's to say what the relationship between a man and a woman was in Greece if you weren't an army general? You know what I mean? It, or maybe not Greece. We have pretty, pretty good history on Greece. But, you know, just all these, all of these other dispersions that we put on the past without truly knowing. It's this idea of like history was written by the winners and what text has survived and how has that informed the stories we tell now? Right. Absolutely. Right. It's, it's a common thing that whenever a group conquered another group, one of the first things they did historically is burn their libraries. Mm -hmm. When you look at, say, the, the famous library of Alexandria, first thing they did, burn the library. We took over the city, burn the library. You know, and you're right. You know, history is, is written by the victors and not just the victors, but usually by the highest ranking, most violent person <laughs> to make it through the door. Uh, and so most of our history, most of the things we see as history was written by generals. I mean, and now don't get me wrong, I'm not besmirching militaries. You know, there's, there's many great qualities to um, uh, military. And I, I, I absolutely love working with former soldiers in my work. But there is something to be said about the fact that it's soldiers who get through the door and then come back and go, let me tell you history. You know, and you're sitting there going, well, well what, what, about, what about the farmer's history? Mm -hmm. that farmer you killed three miles back what, what, what's his history what's what's the history of of that woman who was um you know who was uh weaving a tapestry when you broke down the castle doors and stormed in you know uh, and so there is a lot to say about victory being what outlines how history is uh, seen for sure all right so one more question before we we let you go so you can go back to furiously writing are you sure he's ready for this question? I don't know if he's ready for this question. I'm ready for anything. Ryan Ginjemi, what is your favorite snack? I was not ready for that question. <laughs> um, favorite snack? 
I am partial to uh, a glass of milk, chocolate cake with a nice, like a, a white buttercream or, or something like that uh, frosting on top. And when I'm trying to not be fat, <laughs> I will uh, I will replace that with carrot sticks, crackers, cheddar cheese, grapes, and honey. Okay, oh, nice little nice. charcuterie board. Charcuterie uh, well, board. Yeah, board yeah. for you. Yeah. Tell tell the audience where they can follow. You know your your progress when you know when things get released, when you're publishing, all those all those fun sure. things. Um, right now, my work is kind of up in the air, but a few of my early projects can be found on uh, YouTube under uh, Sword and Heart Productions, or, you know, just look up Ryan Ganjemi. Sure. Uh, I think there's all of two of us in the world, me and a guy who works on cars somewhere. <laughs> I'm not the one who works on cars. If you ever let me work on your car, your car will blow up. <laughs> Noted. I, I, I have no talent for that stuff, but right now youtube some of my other work is out and about you can find some of my work on uh, quarantine e-theater site and then we're we're hoping to get some of the bigger films i'm making right now into more mainstream venues soon awesome great great well i look forward to seeing my my portrayal of jesus uh at at proctor's theater so you know it's, <laughs> Let's get it. Let's get it going. Oh, and thank you both for inviting me tonight. This was wonderful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we have same goals, same aims as we did in our first season, but we uh, we want to kind of start to look at the greater art community. Also, now that Shane and I are both in the same community, what? Um, now that he's up here in upstate New York, we're kind of turning our eye to to the arts in our area. So, so yeah, we're we're going. It's been good. And it, it was, thank you for coming on and, and sharing a little bit about yourself. Of course. Awesome. All right. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Ryan, for speaking with us today. Uh, it was a great pleasure to talk about your process and a little bit about your work. And now we are going to go into audience participation. Yeah. Shane, what do you have for us? Do you even write, bro? <laughs> That is our audience participation this week. Uh, we want to know. We want to know what you are currently writing, what you've written in the past, what you want to write in the future. Talk to us about it. Are you a playwright? Are you a screenwriter? Are you a journalist? Are you an essayist? What's it called when you write essays? I don't know. Do you write? <laughs> do you write? What do you write? What do you write? Do you write fanfic? Fanfic. Mm -hmm. There's probably a lot of people that listen to this show out there that write fanfic. I have personally never written fanfic, and thank you for listening to Active Listeners Podcast. <laughs> if you would like to tell us what you're writing or insist that Shane shares his fanfic, you can find us at facebook.com slash active listeners pod. And you can also check us out on Twitter at act list pod and join in the conversation. Peace. If 
you like what you hear, leave us a rating. And if you really like what you hear and you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash active listeners pod and become a patron. Our theme music, It's a Trap, was created by Remodel. Thanks for listening.